0: You so I can get a little better, but like I said, if anybody wants them, I can email them to you. Uh, They are unedited, so what you hear is what you get, and I apologize in advance. So, like two weeks ago, when I said it was 2016, I I went back and played that for Sherry, and she goes, "What are you What are you doing?" (laughs) There was nothing that said 2016, and like I said, it wasn't even that good of a year. And she goes, "Wait, we were married that year." I'm like, "Oh, oopsie." I didn't say it wasn't without highlights. <laughs> I call this one a very personal message. And, um, and perhaps you recall the story that I've chosen for the scripture Remember this week, Betty. Uh, Betty, well, I couldn't say 2016, so I might as well call you Betty. Becky read it this morning, at least a portion. But if it's entirety, um, you might at least remember the statement from it. It's, Let the one without sin throw the first stone. So I'd like to begin this morning's message by reading this passage to you again, in its entirety, but from the message paraphrase, uh, which follows a little more like a story. Okay, so this is from the Gospel of John. It says, Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, teacher... This woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. So when we read this story, we often take a few things from it. First, no one is without sin. Not even the religious leaders of that time or of this time. And secondly, we see Jesus extend grace and forgiveness to the woman for her sin, even though there was a strong case against her. You know, Scripture says that she was caught in the act of adultery. The message paraphrase that I just read says she was caught red-handed. At no time did Jesus ever say what the woman had done was not a sin or was not wrong. He didn't even argue against what the law required to be done in such a case, which was stoning. Last January, I shared a message I titled, Who Am I in His Story? We looked at several parables from the Bible and took a little different approach by viewing each parable. These stories come with a lesson. And we looked at them from a different perspective from the various creatures, characters. Remember that. I'd like to do the same thing with this real-life case from Jesus' life and teachings. And when we're done, we're going to be going to speculate about what Jesus wrote in the dirt and who it may have been written to then we're going to consider what very personal message Jesus would write in the ground for you. Not just as a player in this lesson, but as a real-life encouraging and teachable moment for you today in light of your current and actual circumstances. You see, the Pharisees, they were part of an ancient Jewish sect. They were distinguished by strict observance of the traditional law and written law and commonly held to have pretensions about superior sanctity. They're considered to be their originators of today's modern rabbinic Judaism. The Pharisees were experts on the law, and I'm speaking of Old Testament law of Moses. And they believed in a strict adherence to important interpretations of the law as a path to holiness. One source um, that I was reading describes them as moral guardians, the self-righteous fun police, it said, who judge others and dictate, demand, correct behavior. And due in large part to the story that we read this morning, the term Pharisee has become synonymous with the term hypocrisy. This is a rather harsh betrayal, because if we were to be completely honest, we were all subject to our own brand of hypocrisy. But from their traditional perspective and stringent beliefs, they would, of course, be skeptical of this man who was drawing attention and the crowds of followers that were going with him. They would be wondering about his teachings and wondering and worrying, what was he teaching? Was it the law? Was it the law that he was sharing? Was he holding himself to the same standards of the law himself? And who appointed this guy from Nazareth to even be a teacher? Personally, I find it interesting that this group of religious elite would lead a woman in front of a crowd. And as the New International Version tells us, they made her stand before the group. This group was made up of religious leaders, teachers, Pharisees, Jesus, and a group of people who had gathered to hear him speak. I can't help but think that this was done in part to shame the woman. This, of course, would have been the practice of clergy at the time. But thanks to this gift of grace given to us through the sacrifice of Christ Himself, we now expect church leaders to be patient, understanding, and non condemning. But you must remember that this new covenant made possible by Jesus had not yet happened. And a vast majority of the world did not know Him or why He came. And at most, to Him, to them, He was just a prophet. But back to our story. Scripture tells us why the Pharisees brought the woman before Jesus. Again, the New International Version reads this way. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You see, anything short of agreeing with the stone in this woman would be contrary to the law and therefore blasphemy. It would also be completely contrary to the teachings that Jesus was imparting to those who gathered to hear him. Thus the trap. The trap. Either the Pharisees would discredit him publicly, or they would have to—they ha- would have had a case against him for heresy. So, how would you respond? Do you think this situation would never happen to you? In a literal sense, you're probably correct. However, it is likely that each one of us cares for someone that we may be doing something that may be doing something wrong in the eyes of the Lord. But we may hear the voices of the Pharisees telling us that well, we should be the judge and the jury and the executioner against this person who committed sin with their bad decision or bad decisions. Perhaps you or I that, or is that person that someone else is thinking of. But in the story, we also have Jesus. We saw through this case that, that Jesus did not consider himself above the law. He still is subject to the same commandments given to all of us. But he also demonstrated an understanding of justice in a way that the world still struggles to grasp. He didn't accuse her behavior didn't excuse her behavior nor did he condemn her as a part uh sorry let me say that again he didn't excuse her behavior nor did he condemn her as a person for what she'd done at first glance it may seem like jesus either found a loophole in the pharisee trap or perhaps he cleverly dodged it all together but if we look at the scenario and also consider what we know about the character of christ we see that what he did was perfect and this should serve as yet another example for us to follow. You now, as we look around at the other people in the store, we see the bystanders. In life, we consider a crowd like this just to be a bunch of nondescript people on the sidelines. The Pharisees intended to, to use them as witnesses to the trap, and, in a way, a partner in holding Jesus accountable to the law that he was teaching. You know, the truth is that God also used them as witnesses to the situation. Instead of a single testimony of a woman who says, a Jewish father saved my life from the Pharisee, we have many more third-party people leaving the place and talking about what he had done. And I'd like to think it would change the better because of it. It has become very normal for us to want to be a major character in life's stories. But there's so much more value in being a witness to the stories and being able to share it from your own perspective and with your own personal touch on it. This is why it is so important that you are prepared to give an answer for the hope you have. And this is an instruction in the Bible, it's 1 Peter 3.15. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have. Thanks in large part to today's available technology, there have also been a, there's never been a time in history when sharing words or images so quickly and to so many people has been as easy or efficient as it is now. Therefore, everyone has an important role in a story like this, and that's to share it. But the final character in the story is the woman. Her name is not given, never is. And Jesus simply refers to her as such. It says, Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? Now, when I think of someone referred to as a female as a woman in that that context, I tend to think of disrespectful or demeaning tone. Hey, woman, get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. And that doesn't work. Don't try that. And when Sherry brings you a sandwich, smiling, don't eat the sandwich. <laughs> but when I think of Jesus' voice, I tend to think of a confident, firm, but gentle tone. Woman, you know, I see you, woman. Does no one condemn you? And there wasn't anyone left to speak against her. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. So go now and leave your life of sin. Again, he didn't excuse her, or tell her it's Okay. He's got this gentle compassion, but he didn't say, it's okay. What you did is okay, because it wasn't. He just chose to not condemn her for the sin. she had already been convicted. She was caught, accused, and found guilty. But it was the harsh sentence of death, or even being called a bad person for the bad decision, um, that never came. I like to think that this woman learned a lesson and never sinned again. The Bible doesn't tell us if she did or she didn't. But it does tell us that there were two parts to the act of repentance, the act of confessing the sin and the part of turning away from it. The root of the original word repent means to turn around or to do a 180. We have each sinned and we've each had the same opportunity to not be condemned or permanently tarnished in the eyes of the Lord for what we've done. We simply need to admit it, apologize, and here's the hard stop. I said it was simple, but it's not always easy. But regardless of which character in the story you can identify with this morning, we all must agree that the turning point was Jesus bending down and riding in the sand. At first read, I felt a little cheated. I want to know, what did it say? It's like the missing paragraph that helps the story make sense, and it was gone. How did we go from about to be stoned to death by an angry, condemning crowd to she's all alone with no one there? Now, every word in the Bible is intentional and with purpose. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the truth, rebuking error, correcting faults, and giving instructions for life living. We know and believe this to be true. Is it therefore possible that the absence of word is equally intentional? In most cases, the word of God may leave a little room for interpretation, but rarely does it leave room for guessing. In this case, I believe it may. So what do you think he wrote? To the Pharisees, do you think he wrote something from the law that held them accountable themselves? To the accusers, do you think he wrote something that they had done wrong, their own sin? To the bystanders, do you think he wrote something of encouragement that surpassed and suppressed their anger and frustration in the situation? So if you were literally on your knees next to Jesus right now, sharing whatever joy or sorrow, worry, or regret that is on your heart, and he lovingly called you man, or woman, brother, sister, but child of God. And then he wrote something very personal to you. What would it be? Would it be well done? Don't stop? Would he say, I've got this? Or trust me? Or I hear you, and that could be either ways. I heard heard what you said. That's great if we're saying positive things. It's not so great when we're not would he say i understand or i forgive you or try again or seek me or if he said i see you and how does that make you feel does that make you feel good about what you're doing or not so good would he say this isn't what i wanted for you or would he say take courage would he say take joy would he say i'm proud of you or would he say you are mine and all of these things are true but what personal message would he write on the ground for you right now and as I close this message with a prayer and we take communion this morning I hope that you will take a moment to ask him what he has to say to you and I will hope that you will take a moment to listen and if you're so inclined on the back of your announcement page um, is that line of speech balloon it looks like this if you want write something there to take with you as you leave this place but what I want you to do is listen and I want you to remember when you say, God, I need to hear from you. And you listen up for what He has to say. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love what you've done for us, what you continue to do for us. We love that we have your word in print that has words of encouragement and words of conviction. God, as we read stories from the Bible, whether it's a parable or a factual account, and we look at the stories from the various characters in them, are we the person who has sinned and needs forgiveness and needs to turn away from the sin and do no more? Are we the one pointing a condemning finger when we ourselves have issues in our own lives? Are we a bystander that just saw something amazing and miraculous happen And we need to share. God, you work in so many incredible ways. God, help us to always be aware of what they are. Help us to see your work, not only on the good times, but in the bad times, the tough times. Help us to be a part of the story where you intend us to be. Help us to take that lesson. Help us to apply it to our lives and to share it with those around us. And God, as always, as we take communion this morning, let it be a quiet moment of reflection, of true communing with you. Whereas we take the symbols of the Last Supper, which signify the sacrifice through your Son that made grace possible, that made a reconciliation of our sins possible. Let us listen to what he may be writing in our hearts and in our minds this morning. God, let us take those with us and apply them, whether they're words of encouragement or support or a word of warning or pause. Father God, I always thank you for this church, the beautiful surroundings, this beautiful building, those who take care of it, those who support it. God, I thank you for all those who are here this morning. God, I ask you, be with those who are traveling, those who are away for the winter season that you keep them safe, help them to continue to seek you in the church wherever they may be. God, we ask that you take the empty spaces in the pews, fill them with people hungry for your word. Help us to do a great job of not only welcoming people, but inviting them in. God, we just thank you above all for the amazing, amazing being that you are. Amen.